Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. Well, <laughs> it's been a bit of a mad few days, hasn't it? Um, I was I was actually hoping to be joined by Dave for this, but uh, it's a bit of a last minute one. Uh, long story short, I basically had a load of notes prepared to do a podcast today, this evening, um, about things that have been happening last week, which I thought were some quite big news stories, like the, the NASA um, thing that had been going on and whatnot uh, to do with UFOs, UAP. But that was somewhat eclipsed by the things that actually were taking place uh, yesterday. So all of my notes went out the window and it was a bit of a back to the drawing board scenario and we're hastily trying to get something arranged. Dave ended up not being able to make it uh, for this one, but me and Dave are going to do another show next week, um, potentially get somebody else on that as well. We'll see how that goes. But it is just myself solo, flying solo for this one. And um, yeah, let, let me just get into actually what's been happening because there may be some people who have not been paying attention to Twitter and the news and stuff and may not have actually even been aware of this. So um, let me get into it. Quick rundown of what happened. So there were a series of cryptic tweets that went out over the weekend from kind of various folks who knew about what was coming up and uh, mostly people who are associated with the debrief. So the debrief is a news website uh, founded by uh, Tim McMillan and a few others, um, which covers all kinds of topics like science and technology and, of course, um, my area of interest, UFOs and UAP. So there'd been a lot of talk in general about a big article coming um you know the name washington post was being thrown around and whatnot and uh you know whistleblowers and things were being mentioned and regular listeners to my show will, will have noticed the hints that i personally have been dropping on this and i don't like to do the whole thing of you know oh i know what's what's coming up and you know i've got a big secret and whatnot because it's just a bit silly um but having said that, as I've said quite a lot over the last month or two, um, there was something a bit different really um, on the grapevine with this. It was quite clear uh, that something big was coming. So I wanted to sort of you know, give people a bit of a heads up about that without kind of being the look at me, I've got all the secrets kind of uh, situation. So what I'd been hearing on the grapevine in this case matched up with um, the, the cryptic tweets that were being put out by the people who were clearly working on the story. I had a pretty good inkling. It was showtime. I actually posted a tweet on uh, Sunday night or Sunday evening, whatever it was, saying, uh, hit, cheers to whistleblowers, honesty and transparency. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, come Monday, a, a bombshell of, of pretty epic proportions dropped on Twitter in the form of a link to this article on the debrief website now before i want to actually get into the article and whatnot um i just want to say you know this is one of those situations where you know there's a lot of talk about clickbait and hype and you know there's a lot of accusations been thrown around about these things that had been discussed about something upcoming and to do with whistleblowers and things like that and I just kind of wanted to make the point that this wasn't based on hot air. It wasn't clickbait. 
it was genuinely people had an inkling of what was coming to do with this particular story and i think it, it is a very big story and it's one of those situations where even if you don't think there's anything to these claims or if you don't trust the person or whatever it might be there's no question that you know it wasn't all hot air in this case you know there's a lot of times as well where i think uh, you know certain journalists will talk about things that they're hearing and then everybody criticizes them for it for mentioning it and then when the things that they've actually talked about happen very very clearly in exactly the way that they said it was going to happen people don't actually give them the credit for you know for for having reported on the story before it happened and i think in this case again similar thing there were a lot of very good um journalists and 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 whatnot who'd been talking about this kind of thing everybody said it was clickbait and i just wanted to say it wasn't bloody clickbait was it because here we are and it actually happened so bear in mind there's a lot of times where people do practice in clickbait and hype and all the rest of it and it comes to nothing yeah so those people forget about them but it's quite clear that there are certain people in the ufo community one, one of them a very good example of this being chris sharp chris sharp he says something's going to happen. Everybody slags him off for it. Everybody criticizes him for it. And then it happens. And a lot of the time, he doesn't actually get the credit he deserves. And I think this is a, a very good example of that. Chris has been talking about uh, a big whistleblower coming out for, for about six months now, even probably even longer. So there are a lot of cases where things on the grapevine do come to fruition. And I think, you know, it's good to credit that when it happens. And this is one of those. So... After the uh, the article actually came out, then um, you know, let's talk about a bit about what it actually consists of because that's the the meat and potatoes here, isn't it? This that's the actual the goodies. <laughs> let's get into that. So the article was the first reporting on a former credentialed intelligence official who had decided to come forward to the public with some absolutely enormous, in my opinion, anyway, each to their own enormous revelations about things that he had learned whilst on the inside so here's the introductory uh, couple of paragraphs from the article a former intelligence official turned whistleblower has given congress and the intelligence community inspector general extensive classified information about deeply covert programs that he says possess retrieved intact and partially intact craft of non-human origin the information, he says, has been illegally withheld from Congress and he filed a complaint alleging that he suffered illegal retaliation for his confidential disclosures and that's reported here for the first time. That is in the debrief article. Other intelligence officials, both active and retired, with knowledge of these programmes through their work in various agencies, have independently provided similar corroborating information both on and off the record. The whistleblower, David Charles Grush, 36 years of age, a decorated former combat officer in Afghanistan, is a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, and the National Reconnaissance Office, NRO. He served as the Reconnaissance Office's representative to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force from 2019 to 21. From late 21 to July 22, he was the NGA's co-lead for UAP analysis and its representative to the task force. 
Grush said that the recoveries of partial fragments through and up to intact vehicles have been made for decades through to the present day by the government, its allies and defence contractors. Analysis has determined that the objects retrieved are of exotic origin, non-human intelligence, whether extraterrestrial or unknown origin. And this is based on the vehicle morphologies and material science testing and the possession of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signatures. So here we are the day after and you know bear in mind I'm still trying to make sense of this like everybody else is. Um, it's only the day after the article came out and whatnot and last night there was actually a News Nation article featuring uh, some some clips of an interview um, with Grush himself. And I think, very importantly, there will be more to come from this story. We're only the day after the article came out, the, the day after, it's probably about 12 hours or so since um, the actual documentary or the, 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 the programme on, on, on News Nation with clips of the interview. Now, apparently, Ross Coltart who, again, many listeners will remember uh, from from his involvement in the topic over the years, but also uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have Ross Coulter on the podcast uh, for an interview a little while back. So Ross had recorded hours of interview with Grush, and Ross and Bryce Zabel, who do the Need to Know podcast, have, they've committed to actually releasing the entire interview, which I think is a really good move from them in, in transparency and just being able to get that context of the entire interview so i or we depending on schedules etc will be recording this follow-up show in about a week or so hopefully with dave as well if we can get it to all the schedules to align but you know in terms of like initial thoughts on all of this i'll, I'll go through a little bit about that today and just give you my hot takes and things like that now i did just want to play a little bit of a clip from the actual um interview that was shown on, on tv last night now this this clip is um it's, it's only about a minute long but i think just worth getting into because you can hear from grush himself and uh, what exactly he's talking about end of your time on the uap task force uh the uap task force has refused access to um a broad crash retrieval program when you say crash retrieval what do you mean uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft, if you will, non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. How many? Quite a number. You're kidding. No. I thought it was totally nuts, and I thought at first I was being deceived. It was a ruse. People started confiding in me. They approached me. I have plenty of current former senior intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided in me they were a part of a program. They named the program. I've never heard of it. And they they told me, based on their oral testimony, um, and they provided me documents and other, other proof, that there was, in fact, a program that the UAP task force was uh, not read into. Grush alleges the U.S. government has recovered non-human craft for decades. He's filed a whistleblower complaint saying he gave what he calls the classified proof to Congress and the intelligence community inspector general. News Nation has confirmed David Grush's credentials. And I just left that a little bit running at the end there because 
as you heard there, News Nation has confirmed the credentials. Not only that, whether you like Ross Coltart or not, there is no question in his journalistic background, the things that he's achieved in his career. You know, he's a he's a highly respected journalist. And Ross and Bryce on the Need to Know uh, podcast and YouTube channel um, also released another episode yesterday talking about they didn't actually show any of the, the interview clips in the episode, but they were just talking about a bit of the backstory, how all of this came about. And very, very interestingly, Ross was talking about how he actually went through the process of, of checking his background and, and the steps that they went through. And I think it's very important to bear in mind that this is not just some guy. Because, you know, if you don't know the background of who this guy is, what he's been involved in and whatnot... The story is not as significant. I mean, what we're not talking about here is somebody who's brought out some kind of video footage of one of these objects. We've not got that. It's worth making this very clear as well at this point before we go any further. We've not got photographic evidence here from this guy. We've not got video footage of it. But what we've got is somebody who was cleared at the highest levels in terms of the intelligence world and somebody who has had his background checked. He is who he says he is. I, I've looked into this in a, in a fair bit of detail already. Obviously, as you can imagine, I've been very interested in this story. And even over the last 24 hours, I've been able to check things myself as well with, with some contacts and, and look into exactly what's been done by the various journalists. And I can tell you that Ross Coltart is extremely thorough with something like this. Ross Coltart knows the level of how big this story actually is. And there's absolutely no way anything would slip through the net in terms of things that should be checked that weren't and things like that. Not only that, Tim McMillan, again, extremely thorough. Like uh, the the level of, of uh, depth that they go into with checking somebody's background is not to be underestimated. And the key thing here is that, you know, as you, as you know, if you listen to this podcast a lot, I'm particularly interested in this exact part of the topic, right? So crashed vehicles, hardware, technology that's being kept in a hangar, all that stuff, right? It's tangible. It's something that you can track down. It's I'm interested in most aspects of this topic, but but this is my jam, you know? <laughs> this is this is my stuff this right here. So, you might be thinking, "Hang on a minute, Frank. We've heard of all of these rumors for decades. What why is this any different?" And in my opinion, there's a few key reasons why this is a bit different and why this really does give a lot more weight to the types of things that are being discussed here. And the key one, going back to what I was talking about a minute ago, is the nature of the individual who's bringing this forward. This isn't just some dude. This isn't somebody who can't be checked for whatever reason. You know, even even with people like Bob Lazar, claim to have been recruited to work on, you know, reverse engineering of UFOs and things like that, everybody denied that he'd ever even been involved in it and so on and so on. And it becomes really difficult to verify anything with that because you go in, well, yeah, he claims to have seen this and this and this, but the, on the other hand, you know, how can we actually really verify that? And everybody claims that he never did any of the things that he, that he did and the official line on it is very different and so on and so on. It becomes basically just like, do you trust him or not? And then, you know, th that's not exactly... A position you want to be in is it just going off whether he seems legit you know sort of thing this isn't the case i mean at, at the debrief um 
you know, Tim McMillan over the last, I don't know how many years it's been actually, but it's been a, f- a couple of years now, a few years perhaps, time goes very quickly. So I would imagine it's been a, a couple of years at least since the debrief has been up and running as a, as a, a news website. And um, Tim McMillan and the rest of the debrief team have, have really been able to kind of make some good links with people within the government. And uh, Tim already had that to some extent anyway. And through his work with the debrief, they've managed to, you know, re- reach out, build bridges and, and have a, a good list of contacts for for use in, in situations, I suppose, like this, you know. Um, but the way that, that Tim describes the, the checks that they've done on Grush in particular uh, are, are as follows, because they did a, a question and answer session as well about this, and, and the following answer was basically given. So he says, in areas like the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency or the NRO, they realise that the debrief are just trying to get information correct. And so these people that they've got the links with are basically people that the debrief team can call up and say, look, did you know this person? Do you know this individual? And a big part of what they were trying to do was not only verifying that, first of all, he he actually is who he says he was, or says he is, but also that he was in the position that he said he was in, very important, because if this guy was sweeping the hallways, very different to if he did exactly what he did uh, in terms of his roles, but also... The way that Tim describes it is you're able to get a bit of a feel for who this guy is as a person, you know, what is he like to work with? What do his colleagues think of him and that kind of thing? And is it somebody who's been obsessed with UFOs for a long time? Is it somebody who's had a real interest in carving out a bit of a niche as a UFO celebrity? You know, what's actually going on and what's the mindset of this guy bringing this information forward and all that kind of thing. So there's a real in-depth, you know, line of investigation that's gone on here and you know with all of that said let's talk about the results of of what they were able to find out so with talking to these people that actually worked with grush as a colleague first of all they verified that he had worked with the task force they verified his work at the nro and and they also were able to give a bit of background about what his colleagues and co-workers thought of him. And this is the way that Tim explains it, quote, and I'll tell you that through that and multiple sources, no one had anything bad to say, but it's a good thing. And that's something that wasn't included in the article, but I do think it is significant for people. It was significant for me because one of the questions I had when I spoke with people that knew him was understanding the involvement that got him into UAP, that got him into the task force. And the interviewer then asked him, how did that happen? And Tim responds, he had no pre-existing interests or real interest in UAP. So it wasn't any experience with UFOs or any pre-existing interest that got him into that where he is today. It was rather that he'd come recommended to the director of the task force based on experience and for being known as a sharp analyst within the NGA and somebody who, when the task force needed a liaison at NGA, was somebody who was recommended. But it was based on his reputation in the intelligence community as an analyst, not somebody with an interest in UAP, unquote. So the thing is, 
That's not to say that there's anything wrong with having an interest in UAP. Obviously, I've got an interest in UAP and I, I wouldn't like that to be held against me. But having said that, if they've kind of put the word out, oh, who's interested in UFOs then? We'll get them to come and have a look at this. There's not as much um, kind of weight that you'd attach to that compared to if they've recruited the best and sharpest analysts to be involved in an effort to understand something. And that is what's happened with this guy. This isn't somebody who was a UFO buff who was really interested, you know, goes to conferences. He had no interest in the topic. He's had a glowing recommendation and report from all the people that he worked with, highly credentialed. And this is somebody who's literally won medals and, and been highly commended for his conduct. Uh, and, he, and he's been an intelligence officer for 14 years. So somebody with extensive experience as well. And... Uh, it, it goes on, I'll just read this next little bit as well, I think it's worth reading through. So the interviewer says, so he's brought in based on your research and verifying who he was and talking to people, he was brought in purely as an analyst with this skill, as opposed to a pre-interest, prior interest in UAP or UFOs. And Tim responds, that's correct, yes, he was recommended to the task force that was already in place. I was told a rather lengthy interview between the director of the task force and Mr. Grush occurred, and they agreed, the task force agreed, that this was somebody who was sharp and would be a good fit, would bring some experience and some expertise in that field of geospatial intelligence, unquote. So, again, somebody who has been, you know, looked into very, very thoroughly and has verified his background. He is who he says he is. He has a glowing record. He's highly credentialed. And he has, during his actual work on the UFO issue, again, not so. This isn't somebody who's been in a desk job, you know, a couple of offices away from where the good stuff was happening. This is a guy who's actually been in touch with the work in investigating UFOs and has had direct area of direct, um, you know, involvement in other areas which could correlate to this topic as well so a very significant individual in my opinion to be coming out with these kind of claims and that is what makes this so different to something like the bob lazar story or any number of people over the years who have talked about uh, these kinds of things and what's really fascinating is that he's, he's not only talking about it but he's willing to go into some depth as well and really willing to not mince words and there's another little clip as well, which um, I think is is yeah, worth playing. Very short one, but let's get into that. Alone, absolutely, the data points empirically that we're not alone. Yeah. Do we have bodies? Do we have species? Of well, naturally, um, when you recover something that's either landed or crashed, um, sometimes you encounter um, dead pilots. And uh, believe it or not, as fan as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. I mean, there's something particularly sobering <laughs> about that. Um, I mean, it's one thing talking about crashed vehicles and technology and things like that, but the thought of actual, you know, bodies of biological entities, I'm presuming that's what they are. I mean, we don't actually know, but just some kind of occupants of, of, of craft and the fact that somebody who is at that, like, again, let's be clear, we've not got photographs of these, 
We've not got them coming out onto the White House lawn and all the rest of it. We've not got photographs of a craft. We've not we've not got that, you know. But the thing that's very significant here is that this is the, the highest level individual in terms of his background, his credentials, that's verifiable as well, who has come out and said he's had direct involvement in looking at this topic on behalf of the government. And the the things that he has seen behind that curtain of secrecy, behind that that level of classification, things that can't be revealed to the public for national security reasons, whilst in that environment, he has seen and heard things from speaking to people who he has verified through his work and through years of, of experience working with those people, he has, has seen and heard things that have led him to believe not only that there are intact non-human vehicles, also the bodies of non-human entities. And there are, not only that, there are official programs to reverse engineer those objects. And this has been kept from the public for nine decades, I believe was, was the way it was explained. And that in some cases, laws have been broken in order to cover this up from the public. I mean, it is literally a, a mind blower, really, isn't it? I mean, we're talking... So, so okay, let, let's just take a step back. That was a little summary, okay? So we're talking about crash retrieval programs here. We're talking about things being reverse engineered and all the rest of it, right? So there will be people thinking, are we talking about some kind of foreign adversary technology retrieval program here? Because I've mentioned this before on the podcast. You know, I'm not some kind of, you know, I'll swallow it hook, line and sinker. I question things and, and, and I, I, I question... I questioned this when I heard about this story, you know, these things, these programs of retrieving adversary spycraft and things exist. Adversaries spy. Somebody has to retrieve their crashed spy vehicles and take them somewhere to analyze them and maybe even reverse engineer them, you know, or whatever. Okay. Is it that? Is that all we're talking about here? Well, Grush doesn't think so. Quote, we are not talking about prosaic origins or identities. And this is in reference to information that he's provided to Congress and the current um, Inspector General of, of the uh, intelligence community. Quote, the material includes intact and partially intact vehicles, unquote. And this is very clearly not something that's prosaic. As as he as he as he mentions there, so obviously again you've heard from the clip that I played earlier. He he says that the evidence points towards the fact that we are not alone, and I think it's pretty clear there that we're not talking about adversarial craft. We're not. I mean, it it clearly says in in the exact quote from him that he doesn't think that that's what it is. Now again, you know, have I been to the hangar? Have I seen the craft? No. Is this an absolutely enormous step forward in terms of somebody with real genuine credentials who's verifiable as being the person that they say that they are making these claims again that have already been made in the past but there was some questions about this questions about that in this case at this moment in time a day after the story broke bearing in mind things may change but at this point in time 
I've not been able to find anything that makes me question this guy's credentials, background, or anything like that. And he is making claims that up to this point were very difficult to believe. He's making those claims in a very different way to what we've ever seen before. And that is the significance of this particular story. It's not that we've never heard of this stuff before. If you mention to somebody just general off the street, you know, oh, what about, you know, has the US government got some, some craft vehicle, crashed uh, vehicles? They'd probably say, yeah, yeah, they probably have, you know. But we all sort of know deep down that it is kind of the stuff of science fiction, you know, can we really verify this? Is there anyone that's gone on record that's got a really impeccable background to, to, to back these claims up? And so far, there's not. There's been a lot of smoke. There's been a lot of where the smoke does fire. And, and and in my opinion, you know, as somebody who looks into this quite a lot, there has been multiple people with um, verifiable backgrounds and things like that, such as Eric Davis, who's been saying this for a long, long time. So if you're into the topic, you will know that there are people with, with you know, uh, very clear, verifiable backgrounds who've been making these claims. But this is a bit of another level up from that. Ross Coltart describes... Grush as, as the highest level intelligence officer who's ever made these claims. He's worked on this stuff very, very recently as well, which I think is significant. And um, he's made these claims in a, in a much more bold and open way, willing to, to, to really kind of lay it on the line and say as it is, in, in a way that, that has not really been done before. It's just a fascinating development and one that makes me want to, smoke a cigar and kick back in the chair and and watch it all unfold <laughs> because it's going to be very very interesting to see what happens and as i said earlier um so far all we've seen from grush is a couple of clips in the, in the news nation sort of documentary show whatever you want to call it but the full interview is going to come out more info is going to come out about all of this as well and what this is going to actually lead to as well is is extremely significant now it's worth mentioning as well about what's kind of led up to this because there has been this talk for a while now of obviously the arrow office with uh dr sean kirkpatrick being the official um you know investigative uh, office which is tasked with getting to the bottom of this mystery and um there's been some some questions about whether or not Arrow are actually what are they doing? They're dragging the feet. Everything's extremely slow progress, and you know there's been some positive signs as well in terms of um, you know data being presented and a commitment at least to transparency with with the public on this issue, which is good. Um, but there's also been a lot of question marks about why things are taking so long. Why Arrow don't have the access that they need to get to the best sensor systems, and you know, I think it's um, it's worth kind of, of quickly going into a little bit about this as well. So just quickly, in terms of our role, um, there used to be something called um, the UAP Task Force, which was essentially what Grush had been involved in. And there were also uh, there was also the AOI MSG, horrendously named successor to the task force, which eventually became what we see today with Arrow, which is the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And this is the office that was basically put together as a result of a requirement by Congress to look into this topic more deeply. There were a lot of question marks around the Arrow office because, obviously, 
you know, if you're creating an office to look into secrecy and that office itself is potentially being controlled by those who tried to keep the secrets, you're not going to get very far. And there was also a lot of questions about the leadership of Arrow in terms of like, why are they taking so long to do things? They don't seem to have much urgency here. The approach was questioned in a lot of cases. Um, and the there were some positive signs as well in terms of data presented and whatnot and that commitment to transparency I was talking about. But in particular, the, the actual concept of the accesses that Arrow have actually got to be able to talk about the scientific approach and how they want to do things methodically in the correct way according to the scientific method. And there's even a bit of a, a suggestion that anybody who's impatient about getting results just doesn't know about the scientific method and whatnot, which is to me, to be honest with you, doesn't really wash. The fact is, if you want to do good science, you go after the best data. If your office hasn't got access to that data, that's your first thing that you need to sort out, right? If you've not got access to the data, how are you going to do the science in the first place? And I've talked about this quite a bit recently where it's a bit like, you know, you've got a filing cabinet full of all the best data. You imagine an old school filing cabinet made of metal like they used to be back in my day. And somebody sat on top of that filing cabinet and is in charge of all the information in that filing cabinet. Or at least, you know, not maybe not in charge, but they sat on the filing cabinet anyway. And, you know, you say, right, okay, we want all the best information about this particular thing where the information is contained within that filing cabinet. What are we going to do about it? And the person on top of the filing cabinets, um, in and are in, oh, I don't know, I don't know where we can look. We'll have to try and figure this out. We'll have to have a, have a good think about where we're going to find all the best information. It's like, mate, you're sat on the filing cabinet. Open one of those drawers. And if you've not got the key to get into that drawer, guess what you need to do? You need to find the key and you need to get into that filing cabinet. Now, look, it's an analogy. It's a bit simplistic. There's a lot more to it than that. It's never that simple. You don't just go and get the key to a filing cabinet, obviously. But the, the concept of what I'm trying to say here, I think, applies a little bit to what NASA are doing and what Arrow are doing. You know, the two places that you would look at if you wanted good data and information um, about the UFO issue I mean, if you mention this to anybody who doesn't know anything about the topic, you'd probably say the US government and NASA are going to have the best information. So it's sort of a bit patronizing for them to spend ages and ages and spend, uh, you know, money and resources and things to try and understand where the best data is when they've probably got that best data. But in this case, particularly with Arrow, they have just not got access to get the best data within the filing cabinet, as it were, to go back to the analogy. Um, it's not as though every single part of um, government has access to everything else within government as well, especially the US government, which is absolutely huge. So then the filing cabinet becomes a bit of a useless analogy at this point when we start to delve into the details, but it serves the point of, of uh, you know, kind of making that... Um, you know, it, it illustrates what I'm talking about, but really there's more nuance required to, to actually uh, effectively dig into this. So what accesses have Arrow actually got? Now, I've talked about this before, that they've not got particularly good accesses to get to the best data uh, and, and whatnot. But funnily enough, Tim McMillan, the same person who uh, has been heavily involved in the Grush story, was talking about this recently as well. And Tim had actually tweeted, Quote, something interesting I recently found out was that in addition to Arrow not having Title 50 authority, 
Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's appointing authority is rated as highly qualified expert, not general schedule, GS, or senior executive service. Essentially, HQE's jobs, which is what Sean Kirkpatrick is, are a job classification used for subject matter experts, consultants, entirely unique to the DOD. While HQEs can technically oversee or manage DOD programs, in my experience, it's pretty rare to see one lead a program office, particularly because a HQE lacks the bureaucratic muscle to really make anyone snap to attention. Conversely, the UAP task force under Jay Stratton, bearing in mind that's who Grush was involved with, had both Title 50 and Title 10 authority and was led by an SES 2, which is a senior executive service. Now, I want to stress, none of this speaks to Dr. Kirkpatrick's competency or ability to perform the job. Rather, it's notable that Arrow was stood up with considerably less administrative power than the UAP task force. Unquote. And that was me slapping the desk, in case anybody wondered what the bang was. (laughs) Sorry, getting a bit animated. I'll, I'll calm down a notch. So, the point of this is, I'm now going to read the statement from Arrow, which was put out as a reaction to this Grush story. Quote, To date, Arrow has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession of reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. Arrow is committed to following the data in its investigation wherever it leads. Arrow, working with the Office of the General Counsel and the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, has established a safe and secure process for individuals to come forward with information to aid Arrow in its congressionally mandated historical review. Arrow's historical review of records and testimonies is ongoing and due to Congress by June 2024. Arrow welcomes the opportunity to speak with any former or government employee or contractor who believes they have information relevant to the historical review. Unquote. Okay, so what's that saying? Arrow, this office that's absolutely toothless, who's not got any access, and the leader director of that office doesn't have any credentials to actually get anybody to do anything anyway, has not discovered any verifiable information about these claims of reverse engineering programs. Well, guess what? With that level of access, I think I would have better chance of actually being able to find any of this stuff than than the arrow office they don't have anything that they need and again this isn't to slag off dr kirkpatrick this isn't to criticize him as a man he dresses very very well as i've said uh, in the past uh, choice of suits is he's marvelous he's a very good speaker and uh, even if he actually even wanted to to do a great job currently the, the man has just not got what he needs to do it and that may be deliberate Kirkpatrick, for all we know, may be actually in on this and, and he, he could be well aware of what's going on. But the fact is, at the end of the day, what are they actually doing? Do, are, they get, are they making efforts to get this better access that they need? The absolute best sensor systems in the world are contained within the, the American military and, and, and intelligence community. Are they intentionally toothless at this point? Are they trying to grow teeth? Are they just going to carry on and just hope for the best? Are they just doing the absolute bare minimum to be able to satisfy the requirements of Congress? Are they just following the scientific method as they claim? I think there's a bit more to it. Either they're being deliberately held back 
uh, or they're deliberately dragging their feet intentionally. And when you see a, a statement like that from from the Pentagon, their official that's their official response, which is also published by the way in the News Nation documentary, which I think is good because you've got to show both sides to this. But this is the Pentagon from the Department of Defense spokesperson Susan Goff. That is the official statement. Okay, and what he's basically saying is our role has not discovered any verifiable information. Well, our role's not discovered anything at this point. It's not got the resources or the accesses to discover anything, even if it wanted to do so. And I think it's actually very telling that it says the word our role about 15 times in that bit that I read out earlier on. Arrow have not discovered this. Arrow have not discovered that. It doesn't say categorically that those programs don't exist. It also doesn't say that the UAP task force didn't find those programs. There is no denial there of what Grush is actually saying. There is no denial that the UAP task force, as part of its investigations, stumbled upon the doorstep of a, of a reverse engineering program that does all the things that Grush alleges. Very interesting. Now, moving on from this... Christopher Mellon, who uh, was, you know, spent many, many years, couple of decades in the U.S. intelligence community, very high up, and served as the deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence. He has worked with Congress on the UFO issue and has been very active in in, in trying to to push the ball forward, as as we say. And Chris uh, has actually said. Uh, recently in in a quote from that same debrief article a number of well-placed current and former officials have shared detailed information with me regarding this alleged program including insights into the history governing documents and the location where a craft was allegedly abandoned and recovered however it is a delicate matter getting this potentially explosive information into the right hands for validation this is made harder wait and and this is a really key bit okay this is made harder by the fact that rightly or wrongly a number of potential sources do not trust the leadership of the all domain anomaly resolution office established by congress okay there we have it there are people coming forward like grush who have tried their best to go through the official processes. They've waited to see what this arrow officer was going to be all about, and they don't trust it. And importantly as well, Christopher Mellon had also d- done an article as well, a couple of days ago in the in the sort of lead-up, really, to um, this particular story coming out. And, and in that particular article, Chris Mellon had mentioned the exact same thing, almost word for word. Now, it's a slightly different wording, but it's very clear that Chris Mellon is actually trying to make this point. And I think, actually, Christopher Mellon makes that point clearer in, in his actual article, which, by the way, um, is an article on um, uh, political, which is a very significant uh, platform to put an article like this out through. And I'll just read the, the couple of paragraphs again. I think it's worth reading it out because it's very... Uh, Uh, I think it ties in nicely with what I was just saying, put it that way. So, quote, 
Arrow is charged with reviewing all non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, pertaining to UAP, evaluating all historical UAP intelligence documents, and extending protections to anyone who has signed an official US government secrecy of agreement related to UAP, thereby allowing them to come forward without fear of prosecution. In one stroke, then, this new office could resolve one of the greatest government conspiracy theories and most profound scientific questions of all time. Are we alone in the universe? It's time they did. Since Arrow was established, I have referred four witnesses to them who claim to have knowledge of a secret US government program involving the analysis and exploitation of materials recovered from off-world craft. Other sources, who rightly or wrongly do not trust Arrow's leadership, very important, other sources who rightly or wrongly do not trust Arrow's leadership have also contacted me with additional details and information about an alleged secret US government reverse engineering program. Some have supplied information to the intelligence community's inspector general. Well, now we know who that is. Others directly to the staff of congressional oversight committees. As this process has progressed and the credibility of these claims has grown, so too have my concerns. What if I'm helping to pry open a genuine Pandora's box, releasing information that might prove destructive, destabilizing, or for many, simply terrifying? I've repeatedly had to ask myself, is disclosure in the best interests of the public? Am I doing the right thing, working to bring what could be America's most deeply buried secret to light? The most refreshingly clear guidance I've received came from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who is the chair of the Senate and Services Emerging Threats and Capabilities Subcommittee and member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. When the opportunity presented itself during a meeting in the Senate, I asked, you've launched an investigation that could prove aliens are visiting Earth. What if the answer proves to be yes? Would you support sharing that information with the American people? After all, Arrow is not required to share its findings with the public, only Congress. Without hesitating, she replied, Of course, why not? I thought it was a great answer, because I've always believed the public has a right to know the truth. However, after much reflection, I've also concluded the public needs to know the truth. And then Christopher Mellon goes on to, to, uh, to clarify the reasons why uh, he thinks the public needs to know the truth, which includes democracy requires transparency. Any discovery should be owned by the American people because these programs have been funded by American tax dollars. Anything discovered should go back to the taxpayer because they're the ones who paid for it in the first place. Christopher Mellon sort of affirms that he thinks that we can handle it, even though it might be a bit shocking. We can overcome things like this. Our ancestors have done so in the past and we can do that again not only that disclosure could just be a matter of time and if we are going to have some kind of revelation of something like this it's best to do it in a controlled way rather than some accidental disclosure that might happen with the craft revealing themselves to the public in a mass sighting or something along the lines of that also the fact that secrecy actually stifles science and hampers progress if this is legit um, we need to get our best people to look at it and to try and, and, and learn things from this technology so that we can change the way we live life on this planet as human beings. 
I mean, he goes he goes on to to make a very strong case as to why this should not be kept secret. And very importantly, though, the key point there that I wanted to kind of make was that there are some big questions amongst the people who are actually thinking about coming forward with this information. There are some big questions as to whether or not Arrow can be trusted. And not only that, it's sort of a bit of a case of, well, what's the point of coming forward to Arrow? We've heard about people like Bob Sowers and Dr. Jacobs who've come forward. From that Pentagon statement there, it seems as though really all they're doing is just trying to get a lot of people to tell the stories, put it into this historical review, and that's the end of it. What we want is them to actually have accesses to be able to follow up on all of these things. If they're hearing about credible people talking about the existence of one of these basically illegal programs operating without oversight and maintaining a, a level of secrecy um, to the to the public which is unjustified then we need them to be actually doing something about it and i'm personally for one i'm not very confident that arrow are actually going to get us anywhere and I, I think it's quite similar to be to be honest with you um the way that the the nasa study is, is progressing I, i'm not particularly hopeful about that either and luckily happily in a way um you know those both of those efforts have, have, have sort of been dwarfed by this this new story to some extent um but the, the bigger story here and the bigger picture is what this is all going to lead to as time goes along are there going to be other whistleblowers coming forward are there already other whistleblowers lined up potentially you're going to be coming forward what's what effect is this going to have on the mainstream i've already seen a significant uh, reaction to this which has been very interesting to see as well we're talking about well first of all the guardian newspaper just before i start recording this had just put an article out we've seen most of the the kind of mainstream media actually pick this up when it when i first saw that this had come out through the debrief i was wondering how that would translate to the rest of the mainstream media landscape because obviously an article that comes out in uh, the Washington Post, New York Times or you know the Daily Mail or a very large publication like that certainly makes more of a splash but I think this this particular story has come out through the debrief which is obviously a, a relatively small website slash publication whatever you want to call it but it's had such an impact it really has spread just like wildfire and so much so that the debrief website actually went offline for a while because the servers actually couldn't handle the volume of traffic. And again, just the, the kind of ripple effect into the mainstream as it really seems to have taken off. And there's been a number of people uh, commenting on it. A very interesting one was um, the uh, retired Navy Rear Admiral Tim Galladay. I'm probably saying the name slightly wrong there, a bit of a tricky one people who listen to this podcast regularly will will understand my uh, difficulty with pronouncing certain names more difficult than you think you know when you start recording podcasts you suddenly realize that like wow there's a lot of difficult names out there um anyway his comment was quote this news today marks a paradigm shift in our understanding of the universe that will make the scientific revolution in the 16th and 17th centuries look like baby steps thanks to those who showed courage in speaking up, unquote. And I think a couple of points I wanted to kind of make to, to wrap up with there. First of all, the courage of those who spoke up. We're talking about somebody here who is 
concerned about very significant repercussions for people who speak up about this issue. He says himself in the interview that he's doing so at risk to his own personal safety. You know, this is somebody who, at the very least, could be ridiculed, mocked. At the very worst, well, I wouldn't even like to think. But let's be honest, it's not an easy thing to do. And I would I would just like to sort of have a moment to think about Grush himself and what he's sacrificed to come forward like this. He's a young man. I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's not like a retired person or something along the lines of that. I mean, I had thought that perhaps if we were going to see a whistleblower, it might be somebody who's, you know, who's getting on a bit in terms of years and, and, and doesn't really have a lot to lose. But this is somebody who's relatively young. He's made this decision. I think it's worth just considering that. And the other thing I wanted to, to take from that quote was the paradigm shift in our understanding of the universe. Even me who talks about this topic a lot, you know, you can become a bit desensitized to it to a certain extent. But the last couple of days really have just made me think. And again, this isn't a smoking gun. This isn't a, you know, that's it. The whole world's going to wake up to the, this, this topic being a real thing and all the rest of it. What this is, though, is a very big step towards that kind of reality being accepted. Now, again, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. It's going to blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. I'm realistic about this. And, and this isn't definitive proof, but it's the biggest ind indication so far that the US has vehicles of non-human origin and potentially the bodies. And the speculation amongst those who, you know, are well connected with folks on on the, the sort of the inside is that there are approximately 12 vehicles and roughly about half of them are in operable condition. And it's very interesting as well that, I forgot to mention this earlier, but Grush himself says that in some cases they weren't actually crashed. Christopher Mellon talks about the same thing as well in, in his article. It's actually in the quote that I read out earlier, but I forgot to point this bit out. Saying that it's not actually crashed. In some cases it was abandoned and retrieved. That does make you think that must be how these these intact craft are actually, you know, and end up in a hangar somewhere because if something crashes, how is it going to be intact and so on? So that's an interesting point. I just wanted to quickly go back to there. But what it what it makes you think, though, is that if these things do exist there and we as humans have, you know, even though we discussed this a lot, the reality of that sinking in that we have something from another species is when you think about what's mentioned in that tweet that I read out a second ago about the paradigm shift in understanding of the universe that could make the scientific revolution in the 16th and 17th century look like baby steps, you know, it does just dawn on you. Could we be close to that kind of moment as, as a human race? It, it seems like this kind of, you know, this hill that you've got to climb. And when you get over the top of that hill, it's going to be like a, you know, a whole new world and, you know, everything's going to be totally different. But as humans, we do this all the time. You know, four or 500 years ago, people had a very short life expectancy. You know, there wasn't the conditions that we have now. They had no, you know, technology anywhere near what we have now. You know, there were massive challenges that they had to face. And, you know, just the acceptance of, of 
bacteria, for example. You know, the the reality that there are bacteria and it can cause serious illnesses and that's why you have to wash yourself. The revelations like that totally change the way that we live our life. And revolutions of technology and industry and, you know, workers' rights and all of these things are huge changes that we overcome as human beings. And when you think about something like this, it can seem like another one of those where, you know, over the top of that hill it's the great unknown what are we going to see when we get over it but i tell you what life will carry on you know life carried on through two world wars one of the most horrendous you know like earthquake type changes that just shattered society as we knew it and then had to be completely rebuilt as i've mentioned on the, on the podcast a few times in recent months about that particular point if we can overcome that as human beings there's absolutely no reason that we can't overcome something like finding out we're not alone in the universe. It could be a massively, in the long run, I'm confident that it would be a massively positive step for humans. So there we are. I mean, this has been an intense thing to talk about for an hour. Um, Still making sense of it all. Still trying to absorb everything, and there's still a lot more work to do in terms of looking into this. And when the full interview is out with Grush, that will be a very important step to take that in and understand the full context of what he's saying and the pick up on the body language and all these kinds of things. And who knows what other information may come out. But there's my kind of fresh thoughts the day after that story broke. You know, a story that we could well be talking about in many years to come, you know, for one way or another, depending on how you look at this. I'd be very interested to hear you guys' thoughts. You know, if you, if you want to drop me an email, it's ufothinker at hotmail.com or ufothinker at protonmail.com. If you're the next grush and you want to come out and whistleblow, then drop me one on the page, on the uh, on the Proton Mail because that, that's, that's the secure one. But, um, you know... Just in general, thanks for listening. If you've listened all the way through to to this point in the podcast, you're obviously yeah, interested in, in the subject and, and you're obviously a hardcore listener of the podcast, as I always like to say. Stuck to, stuck around right to the end. Um, so thank you very much. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash UFO thinker. Um, thanks to everybody who already does support on patreon it's massively appreciated um i don't i don't have a huge number of patrons but it's a great little community we've got over there and it just helps me to pay all the bills associated with the podcast a couple of couple of pounds books euros dollars whatever your currency is a month and it just allows me to be able to spend that bit more time and cover the costs associated with hosting the podcast and whatnot and we uh we have a bit of discussion over there and I always try and get back to everybody's messages. So if you do want to support the podcast, that's a great way to do so. And um, I'm going to leave it there for now. I'm going to leave it there. Think about what all this means. Do some more reading. So until next time, take it easy. Stay curious. I'll catch you in the next episode. You have a podcast. podcast.